0: I'm your host, Kurt Bruner, and I'm very excited about what you're going to hear on this edition. Jim Weidman, who many people know as the Family Night Guy, is someone I met more than a decade ago when my older boys were about five and three years old, and he and I were on a business trip together, and he was talking the whole time about these things he was doing with his kids called Family Nights. This presentation is one where Jim was speaking to a group of men. It was a men's gathering, and he tells some of the stories of his background from the military, from... Uh, from his uh, football years and so forth. But he leads into the priority of being intentional about things such as family nights with our children. Now, many of his ideas eventually became something called the Family Night Tool Chest series that was published and is now available from heritagebuilders.com. So if you'd like to start this process in your home, check that out. But for now, let's listen to Jim Weidman as he speaks to a men's gathering about intentionality as a dad.
1: I stand before you in the midst of uh, the turmoil in the world today trying to raise a Christian family, as many of you do. I have four children, Joshua, who is uh, 13, I have Jacob, who is 10, I have Janae, who is 8, and Joy, who is 5, just turning 5. I'm very much uh, uh, concerned for the hearts of these children as they relate to, uh, uh, to God. For you see, the environment has changed dramatically since we were being raised. In 1965, families spent 40% more time together than they do now. A child in one year will spend as much time in front of the TV as they do in school, which individually is more time than he spends with you or I. You know, there was a survey taken, and they went to six-year-olds, and they asked them, if you had an opportunity to spend time with your father or the TV, what would you choose? And they said, we'd choose the TV. As you know, I'm a graduate of the uh, Air Force Academy, as they stated, and I see there's a, a couple of cadets in the audience. I uh, graduated in 1978. I was co-captain of the football team. And uh, I made the varsity when I was a sophomore. That was back in 1976. In 1976, we had one of the toughest schedules in the nation, bar none. We started at Arkansas, and that was the team that won the Cotton Bowl. We played Iowa. We played California when they had Chuck uh, Chuck Muncie. We played UCLA. That was the year they won the Rose Bowl. And we played Notre Dame. I was a starting strong side tackle. 225 pounds, less than I stand before you today. Uh, I didn't get much sleep that night. I read in the scouting report that uh, the guy I was going against was 6'8 and he weighed 280. And uh, came to game time, we lost the toss. Notre Dame got the ball and they started moving it down the field. We intercepted the ball, and we ran it down to the five-yard line. We got, ta- we got caught from behind. Uh, the offense, we go running on the field, and I'm bumbling my helmet. I haven't yet had my first hit. And I get into the, I get into the huddle just in time to uh, fasten my chin strap, and the quarterback calls, 46 boom, I formation on two. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 46 boom is over me. I said, the guy I'm playing against is a fold-out in Sports Illustrated because I can't get him on one page. I said... I think we want to go 45 boom. And they said, no, no, 46 boom on two. Ready? Break. So we come up to the line. We we're trying to be like the Dallas Cowboys. And the quarterback goes down. So he goes down and we stood up and I looked into the man behind the golden helmet. I do not remember a chin strap, gentlemen. His face protruded from the side of his helmet. Next thing I hear is down. I get down into my position and uh, he got down in his and the sun went away. I hear 245, and I yell, help, which brought my tight end down, and we were going to double-team the mountain. Next thing I hear is 245, off, which means the defensive end came head up on my tight end. I was one-on-one with the mountain. We, uh, he said, hut one, hut two, hike. I closed my eyes. I tackled the man. As an offensive tackle, I tackled the man. We scored. I did not get caught for holding football's an art gentlemen it's not a science it's an art but i also got dinged i also got dinged and i got dinged rather bad i made it back to the huddle i'm surprised i found the right huddle i get into the huddle and i said i said hey i need some help i said i have this excruciating pain where my nose used to be i can only see out of one eye and i got tunnel vision in that one eye they said jim let me help you let's turn your helmet around You're looking out the ear hole. (laughs) It was at that point in time that I realized the level of competition had changed. It had changed dramatically for the football that I was playing. The level of competition for our children's minds has changed dramatically since we were raised in 1965. Look at what's coming through on your TV. Look at what the music is that's out in the marketplace today. Peer groups with broken homes and what's being taught in the schools. The level of competition has changed dramatically. So what's my situation? Why am I standing here before you? First of all, I found myself that I was overcommitted. I was out of balance. I was involved in a lot of activities outside the home. I was working long hours. I was involved in the church, spending a lot of time in the church. I was leaving my kids who did not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and personal Savior with a babysitter. Well, I went to a Bible study. I was out of balance I had no real family time I was doing catch-as-catch-can I'd come home make sure I was home for dinner make sure I didn't travel too much uh, I tried to put the kids to bed tried to say their prayers but one of my biggest fears is that Dr. Dobson would show up at my door when I was at work he'd strap a tape recorder to one of my kids and I'd fall victim to a statistic that says I spend less than 30 seconds quality time with my children a day I was uh, <clears throat> sending my kids to Christian schools I made sure they went to Sunday school but I didn't know what they understood what they were taking in what was being taught or what they could apply Now I'm gonna get humbled here I know there's some pilots in the audience uh, in 19 when I was 28 years old I was a captain of a C-130 I had drop experience uh, combat crew and I was stationed in Abilene Texas and the military came along uh, the army requested that we do an airdrop out of yuma arizona out of yuma arizona and so i uh, uh i got the tasking and out of abilene texas and if you back it up they t- dictate the uh, pickup time because they're paying the bill so we had to pick them up at 6 a.m in the morning well, if you back up the flying time you back up the airf- airplane prep time and then you put me in crew rest i was in crew rest at 11 a.m in the morning the day before i had a six month old son i think i fell asleep at 10:30 p.m. I got the call at 11 p.m. said "Get Wyman, your plane is ready. So I went out and I uh, got my crew together, we uh, kicked the tires, lit the fires and we took off. I was somewhere over New Mexico, somewhere over New Mexico, and uh, I was extremely tired. And I I turned to my co-pilot and I said, listen, the plane's on autopilot. I said, I'm really tired, the Air Force coffee won't even keep me awake. I said, uh, you have the airplane. I kicked my seat back, took my headset off, and I went to sleep. The props of a C-130 are absolutely outstanding. I wish I would have recorded them. It's better than Somonex. But the turboprop also, when you hit an air pocket, it sounded like you had an engine problem. And so we hit an air pocket. So I quick woke up, I lock into my engine instruments, and my engine instruments are fine. Well, then I looked at my copilot, and my copilot was sound asleep. I looked at my engineer, Now the engineer monitors the overhead panel, and he controls the fuel to make sure all four of my engines have fuel, and he monitors my electrical uh, components for my safety lights, my warning lights. He was on the crew bunk, sound asleep. I had a navigator who backs us up, and he actually has a desk in the cockpit with all this instrumentation to make sure that I stay on track. He had his head down in his hands like a schoolboy. Sound asleep. I then looked at my radio indicators, and they were spinning. We had broke lock from the station. I picked up my headset, and all I heard was static. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I was. I turned responsibility of the aircraft over to the crew, and I went to sleep. I turned responsibility of Christian development over to my uh, for my children, over to the Sunday school teachers, over to the Christian schools, and I didn't know where they were. I didn't know where they were. I was doing, I was letting the tyranny of the urgent take the place of the important. I was letting the everydayness of life distract me from what was important at a given time in the season of my life, which is to raise my children. I want to read you just a little bit that comes out of uh, Promise Keepers. In a prison program in Minnesota, the National Center for Fathering asked inmates to write letters to their fathers. Here is part of one inmate's letter. Where have you been all my life? Why weren't you ever around when I needed you? I wish I knew you better than as a friend. You never taught me any good things, things I needed to know about life. We had so many problems that we couldn't solve unless there was a man in the house. I believe that if you were around for me, I would have turned out a little better. There are many men not in prison who could sign their names to this letter. The National Center for Fathering discovered that over half, over half of the fathers in America have either mixed or unsatisfied feelings about the roles their fathers played when they were children. This lack of positive male models makes our own fathering even more challenging than it already is. Yet this doesn't mean the confusions of our childhood need to be passed on to our children. Proverbs 22, six: train up a child in the way he will go and he will not depart from it. Train implies instruction and discipline. The responsibility is ours. It's not the Sunday schools. It's not the Christian schools. It's our responsibility to teach our children about the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings me to Family Night. I believe that this is a technique that allows us to be the spiritual leaders in our home. It addresses the command of God to talk, to teach, and to train. Family Night is a structured Bible study. It has a format. Let me give you an example. We pick a night that we have Family Night in my house, and it's once a week. And what we do is we we have pizza. I don't want my wife, Janet, to uh, do any cooking. And so we have pizza, and uh, we have a theme song, and all the kids come around. Let me give you an example. I want to teach my kids about persecution. And I got this idea from our men's group, because we meet once a month, and we share ideas. And so what I did is I took my kids, and we went down into the crawl space in my basement into the dirt. And for those of you who are pilots, I flew in Turkey, and I bought one of those shepherd's lamps. And so I had a shepherd's lamp and a candlelight we went down there and we defined what uh, persecution was. And I taught them the concept that says, when you're faced with persecution, peg the opposition. Peg, pray for them. What did Jesus do when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second point we wanted to make was endure the persecution. Jesus could have called down legions of angels and he didn't, why not? He won them through love, not retaliation. The last part I wanted to teach him was a concept that says, be glad through the persecution for your reward which is in heaven. Now, how do you teach that concept? Well, we crawled out of the the dirt. We went upstairs, and I took this bucket. It was a foot and a half by a foot by about six inches. I filled it with ice, snow, and water. I had the kids sitting on a bench, and I put it down in front of their feet, and I had my daughters go first. And in the bottom, I put marbles. And I said, "Uh, guys, I will pay you fifty cents for every marble you can pull out of there with your toes my daughter says okay she puts her foot in there she pulls out one marble and goes to tears says dad I'm I'm out of the game okay my uh... my five-year-old comes up she sticks her toe in the snow and says daddy I'm not playing I said okay sweetheart Joshua says fifty cents a marble he says what's the limit I said I'll give you five minutes he says start the clock Josh dives in, and he pulls out 14 marbles in five minutes. His foot is a brilliant blue. Jacob then looks at Josh and says, Dad, that's seven bucks. I said, that's right. He goes, start the clock. Jake dives in, and in uh, four minutes, pulls out 14 marbles and quits. My daughter, who's third in line, says, I'm not going to let this happen. Dad, I want another shot. She pulls out another 11. All the kids are sitting on the couch, and they're, and they're holding their feet. They're just holding their feet. And I said, uh, I said, if I had a social worker looking in, I might be in trouble. But, um, I said, why'd you guys do that? Why'd you guys do that? I said, I, I didn't make you do that. Well, I, we wanted the money. I said, isn't that interesting? You look through the pain of the ice and the snow to get to the reward, which is the money. Joshua's eyes get about this big. And he says, Dad, I understand. I understand, but through the pain of persecution, the reward which is yours in heaven. Dad, I understand. It's incredible. It's incredible. The object lessons drive retention. Drive retention. But that's what a family night is. It can be that complex, or it can be as easy as taking your kids and putting them in a car. You play your family theme song, and they say, Dad, where are we going? Oh, you'll see. You'll like it, though. I promise. It'll be good. And they'll start guessing. Oh, we're going to Dairy Queen. Oh, we're going to here. Dad, where are we going? Oh, you'll see. You'll see. Then you start talking to them. What do you think Moses and the people felt when they were promised the promised land? They hadn't seen didn't know where they were going. How do you think they felt? And then you show up at Dairy Queen and get something to eat. You make the point. So it can be as intense as the uh, persecution or it can be as easy as as just to drive to Dairy Queen. But family night creates the formal and it sets up the informal. You know, I wanted to teach my kids the opportunity, uh, I mean, uh, about worry. My kids were real young and they were worrying about everything. So I taught him on, on family night, don't worry, pray and be happy. Well, on Saturday, we went out and what we, uh, I dropped my daughter off at a birthday party and I was going to the hardware store with Josh and Jake. So we show up at the hardware store, I reach down and I drop my checkbook. I lost my checkbook. I go, shoot, let's get back in the car. Guys, let's go, we got to go home, I do my checkbook. And Joshua pops up. He says, Dad, let's pray about it. I said, Joshua, that's great. Why don't, why don't you go ahead and lead us in prayer? Joshua leads us in this incredible prayer, right, to help us find our checkbook. At the end of the prayer, we launch into this discussion that says, you know, God can answer a prayer one of three ways. He can say no, and we'll never find it. That's okay. We can cancel our checks. He can say no, not right now, or he can say yes. So let's go see if we can find it. Maybe he'll say yes. So we went looking for it, and we didn't find it. Two weeks later in the mail, my checkbook shows up. I call my kids around. I say, hey, guys. God answered our prayer. He said, no, not right now. And here's the checkbook. I cannot tell you how many times we launch into discussions that are based on some family night that we taught years ago. I've been at this for almost four years. And I'll tell you that I am not short on subjects. I'm backlogged. And my kids, they keep getting tougher and tougher. Uh, creates a formal, sets up the informal. I want to take you to Psalm 78. Listen to what it says we we'll started three what we have heard and known what our fathers have told us we will not hide them from their children we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord his power and the wonders he has done he decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God, who would not forget these deeds, but would keep His commands. I don't know if you follow that, gentlemen. That's four generations. You want to talk about impact. Four generations you can impact through your children. You talk about the power of a legacy. This gives me the power. My kids come up to me and my son Jacob ask me the question, Dad, how do I know I have Jesus in my heart when I don't feel like it? My eight-year-old says, Dad, what's it mean? To have Jesus in your heart. Joshua asked me, Dad, how do I know God exists? How do you start? Pick and schedule a night each week. Gentlemen, there's a business concept that says if it is important to you, you will schedule it. Four generations. I worked for IBM. I could sell a computer and it's outdated in years. <laughs> Today, months. Right? Accountability. Once you start this, I'm only going to give you three lessons. Because after the third lesson, your kids are going to hold you accountable because they want family night. There's something about you and the child and the child wanting your undivided attention. It's a fun family time. You ever take your hand, the, uh, one of your children you reach between their legs and you flip them and they go, again daddy, again daddy, and you flip them. And they continue to say, dad, let's do it again. The kid's eyes are going back and forth, can't stand up, your back hurts, arm hurts. But the kid wants to do it again. And the reason that they want to do it again is because of the fact that they're having fun with you. If they're having fun with the family, then they want to be with the family. If they're having fun with the family and you're teaching them God's Word, they want to learn more. And you begin to drive the thirst. You begin to drive the thirst.
0: you're interested in becoming intentional as a dad or as a mom about the faith of your children once again come visit heritagebuilders.com you'll find all kinds of tools and resources there to make it as easy as possible to do the right thing once again thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed it